Hey there, party people. What's going on? Welcome back to the highway with Kyle Shutt. I am Kyle Shutt, and uh, I'm still couch surfing. Uh, yeah, it's been going lovely. Um, we um, just played the Ripple Fest here in Austin last weekend uh, alongside Eagles of Death Metal and Crowbar and a, a hundred other rad stoner bands, and uh, it was a good time. Really good time. Uh, I am ramping up now to do something that I said that I would never do again. It's um, uh, it's uh, the Hot Ones uh, hot wing challenge. Uh, it's not really a challenge so much as it is just an interview while you eat 10 of the hottest wings on the face of the planet. Um, spicy boys here in Austin, uh, does a, an homage to hot ones called, uh, spicy ones. And we're going to do the next one, uh, August 10th at St. Elmo Brewing Company at 7 PM, uh, here in Austin, Texas. You can come down there and, uh, watch me eat, uh, 10 absolutely nuclear hot wings and, uh, get grilled uh, answering all the Everyone's burning questions, haha, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So everybody, come down to that if you want. After that, we're taking the highway live to Psycho Las Vegas this year. I am so excited. We have two two hour sets, so you can catch us on Saturday and Sunday. And um, I've got four guests for each uh, show. We're going to get to the bottom of it, like we always do. It's going to be a fantastic time. And um, uh, the rest of the fest, I'm going to be bopping around, uh, doing you know IG live. Uh, interviews with uh, all the artists that uh, want to sit down with me and have a beer or a smoke or something. And uh, so you can follow me there on Instagram at Kyle Shut. That's where all the good stuff is. This week on the show, we have a man of many talents, Mr. Justin Pearson of The Locust, Retox. He's in Dead Cross. They have a new album, Dead Cross 2, coming out very soon. And uh, we're going to listen to the latest single at the end of our conversation. But uh, I'm so stoked that he came on. I've been a huge fan of his for many, many years. And it was an honor having him on the show. I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. Now, I'm not one to talk shit. Oh, who are we kidding? Yes, I am. It's time to throw everybody under the bus on That's Not News! All right, first up here, we uh, we got this hot slab of news. We got uh, Five Finger Death Punch's Ivan Moody disowns the band's 2020 anti-mask video. Quote, It went down like a fart in church. Hey, I saw that coming, brother. I mean, like, hey, you make a song about whatever you want, all right? I don't care. But it seems like it's the the, the people with the dumbest opinions about things uh, are the ones that are just so vocal about it and uh, shoving them down your throat. Um, you know, anytime a band gets political, it's kind of eye-rolling. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of it, too, on this program. But, uh, dude... I, everyone knew that that was going to go down the way that it did. <laughs> so I don't see a, a reason to make a headline out of it because that's not news. Now, the, this next story is actually pretty heartbreaking, but I do have some issues with it. Um, Buckethead asks fans for help after 10 of his guitars are stolen. That is a strange headline uh, for many reasons, because if you click on it and you read the story, there is no story. All Buckethead says is that 10 of his most prized guitars were stolen and he'll never be able to replace them, and he desperately needs two new Les Paul Studios to do something. This is not news, uh, for one, and it it would be if there was a story behind it. Who stole the guitars? Where were these guitars? Aren't these guitars insured? Doesn't Buckethead have, like, 300 Les Paul Customs? Nothing about this story makes any sense. Uh, Buckethead, he's an absolutely ripping guitar player. Uh, I don't know that I would you know, uh, choose the same, uh, fashion sense, uh, on stage, but, um, th- there's meat on the bone here. Uh, it's just that they forgot to give us any of it. And, uh, so for that reason, that's not news. All right. Now here's some weird clickbait bullshit. Uh, Corey Taylor on artists that don't listen to their own music quote, 
you're just a fucking dickhead. Um, that's a really stupid headline. And you know what? If, if you read this interview, uh, he, I don't even think he has a point, man. It's just he's his quote is that uh, how do you you know expect to go somewhere new if you don't listen to where you've been before? And I've always said that you know I I don't make records for fans or, or to please anyone. I especially like the sword and, and my own solo music. We always make the records that we want to hear. You know, and and we do listen to that. But after you record that art and and realize your vision and sort of exhaust it, you know, then we don't really listen to it anymore. I don't I don't know of anybody that does really except Corey Taylor. I mean, I I could see Corey Taylor driving around listening to his own records, but um, it's not uncommon for a recording artist to get everything they needed out of that project and then move on to the next thing. I don't. I mean. Whenever the sword did get back together um, for the Primus tour last year, I, I did go back and listen to our records for the first time in a very long time, and um, yeah, I was uh, blown away. But I, it's certainly not something that uh, I sit around and do for pleasure. That's for you people to enjoy, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna keep doing uh, more music and, and 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 enjoy it that way. So whatever, Corey, maybe you're the dickhead. That's not news. All right, I've said it before that I don't like talking about these fall down, go boom stories because that's not news. But um, when it happens enough, it's kind of becoming news. Um, you know, on this Rage Against the Machine tour, they're kind of going viral for all the wrong reasons. But uh, at, at least people are talking. Um, everybody knows, you know, Zach Taylor Rocha broke his leg at one of the shows uh, last week. And here he is in this footage uh, sitting down performing, which is fine if that's how you feel that you need to proceed. But um, a fan snuck on stage at this one particular show. And uh, the video is pretty hilarious. It all happens within about two seconds uh, before the security guard who is doing a bums rush at this fan uh, can get the fan. The fan jumps out of the way and the guy just plows through Tom Morello and they go completely off the stage. And it, it looks pretty rough, uh, honestly. But uh, Tom Morello was in good spirits about it. He, he jumped right back up and uh, did sort of a, I don't know, a King Kong or like a Hulkamania sort of chest pound. Uh, had a smile on his face. He, he uh, clearly had... The, the right attitude about it, and uh, it's it's fun when an artist can sort of just brush something like that off and uh, not throw a little temper tantrum on stage about it. So it may not be news, but you know what, Tom, you're all right. Now I don't want to just sit here and trash everybody this week because there is some real news uh, right here. We got one. Uh, Guar think Adele might be a space alien in disguise. Fuck yeah, that's news. Hell yeah, Blothard the Berserker, friend of the show. Um, uh, Guar is awesome. They have a, a great new documentary out by uh, the filmmaker named Scott Barber, and uh, yours truly appears in it a couple of times, and I even have some music in, in it as well. It's called This Is Guar. It's on Shutter, and it has um, a limited theatrical release across the country. So if you see it playing at your favorite local theater, please go check it out. Or if you're on Shutter, check that out too. I'm sure it'll have a, a much wider distribution soon. But This Is Guar. If you like Guar. And you want to cry? <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> it's a it's an emotional roller coaster, and uh, it is fantastic. Uh, anything uh, with Guar in the headlines is news, so I, I will stand by that forever. And uh, let's see, I'm going to go ahead and leave you with this one here. Um, Ozzy Osbourne rejoined by Tony Iommi on new track about <gasps> jacking it too much. Yeah, they. Uh, I guess there's a new song uh, on Ozzy's newest record where Tony came and gave him some riffs, and um, somebody. I'm not. I I doubt Ozzy wrote these lyrics, but somebody wrote lyrics that really make it seem like it's about jacking off. Uh, they talk about sticky magazines and the hand that beats you makes you blind. These lyrics are out of control. Um, this this isn't news. This is just sad. I don't I don't know how to feel about this. I haven't heard the song. 
I, I didn't want to listen to it. So maybe I'm a little bit under. Maybe it rips. I don't know. But, you know, and hey, I'm no stranger to cranking one out every now and again. But, you know, I'm not going to write a song about it, especially at that age. Um, I, that's just nothing that I needed to hear in my life. And that makes me sad. That is decidedly not news. All right, like I said earlier, we got Mr. Justin Pearson on the program. I cannot wait to get into that conversation. Before we hop in, I just wanted to remind everybody that if you want to help keep this show going along, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway. For a few bucks a month, you can help me make sure that all my guitars have all six strings on them, help me keep my lights on, and uh, you can even get yourself a shout-out on the show. Like Brian Jane and Taylor Ellis, thank you all so much for your contributions to my crazy dreams. But no matter what you give or where you get it. Thank you so much for listening. It's time to do things my way. The Highway. Hey, Justin, what's going on? Hi, sorry I'm a little bit late. No, no, no worries. You can be as late as you want. Cool. <laughs> All right, I'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, dude, thanks so much for coming on. I, I sincerely appreciate it. I'm really excited about uh, the new Dead Cross album. Uh, it's, it's just two, right? Dead Cross 2? Yeah. Okay. Um, we weren't very original with the title, but it makes sense, I guess. No, it's fine. I just didn't know if it would be like two lowercase L's and it was called like L or something. <laughs> That'd be good if, if it like if it was and we we had to correct everybody. <laughs> you know, I saw um, whenever Spoon put out that record, um, Ga 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 Ga. Uh, I, saw, uh-huh. I saw an interview with Britt Daniel and uh, he was saying everybody keeps pronouncing it uh, incorrectly. It's actually it's supposed to be. <laughs> oh wow yeah i always love that uh what a freak but uh yeah man the new uh i haven't heard the the whole album but the the new single uh, reign of error is um scathing i mean it's it's fucking wild dude and the, the video is equally as uh scathing and um it's i mean to me it, just, it sounds like uh like if you put a stethoscope up to the united states right now like that's what it would fucking sound like <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's funny because it was created by the video was created by a, a friend of mine, Andy Wallace, who's based in the UK. But I guess like, you know, the UK always gets tagged as like the little the little brother or something to to the United States. But um, yeah, it's just it's interesting to like talk to people that are not from the US and just, like just to hear their perspective of how fucking ridiculous it is. here. Uh-huh. So anyhow, yeah, well, we, yeah. we used to tour Europe a lot more back in like, uh, oh, back when like Bush was in office and, uh, you know, we'd be over there. Um, you'd get in like a cab in the UK or something like that. And they would know we were American, but we'd say, no, we're from yeah. Texas. And they're like, oh, you, you yeah. like George Bush. And we're like, fuck George Bush. And they're like, you yeah. say fuck George Bush. And then like, next thing you know, they'd like take us wherever we were going for free. And like, I don't know, people would, like, <laughs> buy us drinks and shit. But when Trump was in office, it was like you, there was no forgiving it. Now it's just like a yeah giant shit show. You can't defend anymore. That's it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, 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 um, have got in a lot of situations where I found myself saying I'm Canadian, um, which is, <laughs> and, and like, not to like, like for, for actual, I mean, not like survival, but you know, uh-huh. just to avoid, I mean, sometimes avoid getting into altercations even, but like also just to avoid, you know, added hassles or drama. It's just like, no, I'm, I'm Canadian just to like bypass all that shit, which mm-hmm. is kind of, 
kind of sad. And that's and that's all pre-Trump. I'm not, I haven't yeah. done that since that piece of shit's been around. But um, yeah, anyhow, it's inter- it's an interesting landscape. <laughs> God, tell me about yeah. it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's exciting to see you. Um, you know, still putting out music after all these years. You are one of the most active people. Uh, in rock and roll it's inspiring um it, it's uh I, I feel like we do have a lot in common actually just because I, I feel like i take on way too many projects and i'm always busy <laughs> and like always behind on something and and i really enjoy um getting my hands dirty in like every aspect of the entertainment industry and just really I, I'm, I'm a numbers guy i like getting to know all the ins and outs of things and you like you know like having run labels over the decades and um running uh, your own pr company the chain well which we actually used on the, the used future campaign uh current Reynolds that works there What's awesome up, Curran, um and stuff and i just wanted to ask uh you yeah like was it um just kind of out of necessity that you started all like you know getting involved in every aspect of putting out records and things or was it just do you just have that in you and, and it's like a passion of yours um i would not say any of it's a passion so i mean that's a really (laughs) interesting question i mean not to say like oh i don't i'm not passionate about what i do Mm -hmm. but i mean i think you know even like as a as a child i kind of remember uh, really obsessing over over certain bands um you know obviously as a little kid like van halen and stuff and then kind of becoming a little bit more slightly more like moving up this are moving down, I guess, the scale, uh-huh. like, and then kind of obsessing over sex pistols and then realizing like, Oh, something obtainable would be like, um, uh, I, I mean, I start, I obsessed over no means no, you know? So oh, it's like God, a band like that, which is like not, yeah, me too. But like, you know, no offense to no means no, I love that band, but they are light years apart from something like Van Halen. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't until I started like kind of going like, Oh, I see where I'm, maybe I can fit in. I'm not going to be, you know, uh, what's his name? Anthony Michael, <laughs> you know, or whatever, but, but like, and not that I could ever be Rob Wright from, from no means no, but I, I feel like, um, I feel like it was just, in a it was a more obtainable world. So, so it, it was kind of, I always wanted to, I always really admired, you know, musicians and, and artists, even like film and, and, and just like weird, weirdo, you know, activism or something, I mm-hmm. guess too. Like, um, I mean, when I was younger, I was obsessed with like just pranks and like weird shit. Um, also like, you know, the, through the sex pistols, like discovering the situationist and kind of getting into like the artistic side of subversive, um, messaging and stuff. So anyhow, my, I was already, you know, my passion is there, but then, um, there was this gradual thing that happened. And I think a lot of it wasn't really, um, understood until I could look back and put it into perspective or in like a retrospective uh, light, because, you know, I started playing music when I was 15 and I went on tour when I was 15 and then haven't stopped since then. And so like along the way, you know, my standard shifted and my expectations shifted mm-hmm. and and then also like the world shifted. So I, I had to adapt with things. Um, and, and so running a label was um, never like, Oh my God, I want to start a business. Cause I'm fucking terrible as a business person. I, you know, <laughs> even on tour, like you put me at the merch table and I'm going to just give shit away. I'm like, Oh, it's cool. You're, you seem cool. I'm like, oh, that's a great jacket. Take this fucking free record or whatever, you know, like I'm not the right person to sell stuff, um, or run a business. And with that being said, like, I don't want to freak out anyone on three, one G I don't do that with their shit. It's just usually myself. But I, I mean, uh, fortunately the people that help me with three, one G are that are, that are part of three, one G, um, really do make it work. Um, but it was, it was a necessity. It's it, it, at the start of it because, um, it was like, uh, so Eric Allen from unbroken and who was also in swing kids was the one that really pushed me to do a record label because 
him and I were in Swing Kids and we had problems with um, the way that the uh, the Swing Kids 7-inch was released. It was just a lot of kind of miscommunication and like uh, misunderstandings. And it was and it was weird because we we were a little bit disappointed and and kind of just felt odd about it. So um, Eric was like, you should just start your own record label. And and then and then and then like you could kind of like make sure everything works or if it doesn't work if you can blame yourself mm-hmm. you know and i was like oh yeah that's a good idea <clears throat> and so he was like well i have these unbroken songs you should release a, an unbroken seven inch and then reissue the swing kid seven inch and you know with those two records it was like kind of this the start of like a legitimate label people you know were aware of the two bands and mm-hmm. and it sold well so we kind of went from there and, and or i went from there and then and then eventually had people work you know with me with 31g um, so it was kind of, you know, it was a necessity and even, even fast forwarding, like fucking what, 30 years or something, um, you know, doing PR, it was the same kind of thing. I mean, I was, I, I hired, I, I knew Curran before, you know, way before we started the chain, um, retox toured with, um, today is the day when he was in the band and we kind of became friends from through that. And then I hired him as a publicist. And at one point I was like, dude, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't make any money running through one G. I can't really afford to do this for, you know, for like a seven inch or, or anything actually, or a band that I wasn't in, I couldn't really justify, like, let me spend more money that me or the band are not going to make, you know? Um, and it's and, a gamble and so, too, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause like you, you don't know that that PR campaign is going to pay off if you pay all that money for it, you know? Well, PR is another a huge, uh, you know, that could be like a completely other conversation, yeah. but you know, I, I, my my goal when when I hired Curran was just to get something created to talk about, like, hey, look at this thing that Three One G's doing, or look at this band's record, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it, just to kind of make it like, because you know, even now, like to this day, I think there's something like two hundred thousand new songs a day on Spotify. So you're competing oh, with a bunch of shit. And when I, when I say shit, I mean I'm, I'm talking. I mean I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, dude, there's so much shit out there. Yeah. So the, the the you know, so at one point I was like, you know, Curran, I can't afford this can I just help you or like uh, maybe there's a way we could like combine forces um, because I think I, I, not as a, as a, as a publicist, I feel like, Oh, maybe I have a lot of reach because of my band stuff and the label stuff. Like I know a lot of these writers, you know, that, that are covering things like maybe, maybe that could work. So that was kind of how him, him and I decided to start stuff. And then he really did tell you know, help me like teach me how to, how to, how to become a publicist mm-hmm. and and I and I'm forever grateful for that. And it's definitely helped me. And so, you know, I use it for 31G to kind of um pu- push things further. And like uh, you know, before before that, uh, it was it was very hard to kind of let people know what was going on. And now now I know the ins and outs. But you're right, it doesn't translate to sales. So it, it you know that's that's the thing that a lot of like a misperception is, you know, people will hire a publicist, you know, whatever level of, you know, if they hire one for, you know, 200 bucks or 2000 bucks a month, you know, like those are, those are legitimate numbers, but you kind of get what you, what you get. But the thing is like, no matter what you pay, you can't, you know, I get, there are, there are clients that are like, you know, artists that are like, we want, you know, to be in pitchfork and we want to be in Rolling Stone and, you know, we pay for that, you know, like, nah, it doesn't work like that, you know, Mm -hmm. but the thing is like, I think it's just a tool for your, band or your 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 album or whatever to kind of just it's like a thing that it's like an advertising tool in a sense and it doesn't necessarily translate to sales especially if people are like oh what's this new band or this new record i'm gonna stream it i mean you're streaming you know you're streaming profits like 0.000001 you know so you're it's just 
it's more like, oh, this will help me, you know, get press or help me on tour or help me get a, you know, booking agent or on a better label or mm-hmm. something. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting to, 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 to see that landscape and see what people's perception as artists are or what their expectations are. Because for me, I just roll with everything with very, very low expectations and I'm never let down because it's, it's always going to be better than the lowest you know, bars. So. Yeah, totally. We always um, say, uh, aim low, be high. I was gonna. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's just it is crazy when people cruise around like expecting, like you know, I don't know, whatever, like the world, you know. And you're just like, come on, man, you, you know, you can't really live like that. And, and that and that and that says that that goes for any aspect in life, whatever you're doing. Like you just, there's just a lot of assholes out there yeah. that think their shit doesn't stink. And I mean. It, you know, everyone's shit stinks to some extent. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And, you know, the the best way still, I mean, even today uh, to, you know, make a name for yourself or your band or whatever you're trying to do is word of mouth. And that's um, something that y'all had just down back in the day. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, the old 3-1-G days where the the, the way I heard about y'all, um, you know, the Locust and, and everything was just going to record stores and uh, seeing the the vinyl that uh, GSL, um, uh, Gold Standard Laboratories and uh, 3-1-G were putting out because everything that y'all did looked so good. It was always like a crazy shape or a crazy color or like a very unique um, you know, size of record or whatever, you know, and it was always, it just jumped off the shelf at a time when vinyl was kind of in a, a, a dip. I guess um, it, it was there was only like you know two places around the the world that, yeah. that that made records and stuff like that and y'all always like stood out that way. I didn't hear about y'all like you know in magazines or MTV or whatever. You know it was it was going to I moved to Austin in like 2000, so I, I think I was 17, and um, you know I would see you know like like the big metal bands at the time were like you know uh, like like Cephalic Carnage or you know Mastodon was kind of coming around then and stuff like that. But that was all like the Relapse Records was a whole different kind of metal or extreme music i suppose um and y'all were like the y'all were just the cool kids there's no other way to put it like you know when there was bands like lightning bolt and the locust and and albatross and and even like daughters coming out of that scene um it was always a a a trip to to see y'all like come through austin i feel like every band back in those days came through austin and um it was always kind of like an oasis for um touring bands from like california or providence or new york or whatever and I, i wanted to ask you um because uh, I remember seeing the Locust back in like, you know, 2000, 2001, there was, you know, probably like 200, 250 people there. And then watching y'all all grow to the point where you're selling out outside emos with a thousand people there. Um, I just kind of wanted to ask you like what your perception was on Austin in the nineties and uh, touring through here and how different it was uh, from other places. That's a really good question. I mean, Austin is a, is a sort of anomaly in itself. Like it, it is, a, it is, it is, a, it was always a very, um, you know, welcoming and, and um, I don't know what the, I don't want to say like, I hate the word successful because, but you know, you, every time we get to Austin, you're like, you knew the show was going to go off, uh-huh. you know, you knew it was going to be awesome. I think because there are legitimate weirdos and like, you know, um, there is a, there is a, 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 a sort of standard of, of, of creativity that, that, that exists there. And it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of times where people will bring up like San Diego, which I, I I would, I'm not comparing Austin to San Diego, but San Diego is an interesting place because it's sort of outside of Los Angeles and we don't have all of the nice, um, you know, uh, venues and, uh, you know, like sort of like platform for, for creativity. Like it's very conservative and it's very, um, focused on, um, 
I don't you know, tourism or whatever. So in San Diego, we were forced to just kind of use our resources and create um, something from nothing. And I, I think that's, I think that's an interesting thing. Like, cause you also referenced like, you know, Providence and stuff, which I think is a very similar mm-hmm. kind of city. M- maybe Providence is like a mix of San Diego and, and, Austin. But, you know, when you get to Austin, it was like, you have all these weirdos, maybe because you guys are stuck in this, in the middle of like garbage, you know, I mean, yeah. no offense to the no, Texas, you're but not wrong. it's like, just, there's some fucked up shit. I mean, even, even in Austin was crazy. I remember like when the locusts would go through there and we would tour with having Planned Parenthood table our, our, our shows, um, you know, we'd get to, on the whole tour, we'd get to Texas and all the promoters would be like, we can't have Planned Parenthood here because the um the people that you know the landlords of the venue or of the building will will revoke our our lease if you know like just oh like because God. they're you know yeah, like crazy shit like that and they're just like look austin's not like this but it's texas you know and you're like whoa that's crazy so maybe i think that austin might be or you know subconsciously or like in the dna of austin is like a is like a, a it's like a revolt against the rest of the state mm-hmm. you know i feel like maybe that's why and so again, you know, going through Austin, you have all the weirdos, you have people that are ready to like connect, um, you know, uh, artistically or, or, you know, even like, I don't know, like, however, like just weird energy, like, let's just share this weird energy because we're all on the same level of, of, of something, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, activists or, or artists or whatever we are, you know, and like, that was always like the kind of nice place to get to especially you know when you're going from one coast to the other you're like oh when we get to austin it's gonna be awesome and you and and it always was i mean there's i don't think there's like a a show where i'm like oh austin was terrible on that tour you know it was it's (laughs) it's always been awesome always so did you ever um get pulled over or anything and like cops like find your like locust costumes and like you know get like grilled about or anything like that no, I mean, anytime any, anyone discovered the locust uniforms, they were, they fucking stunk really bad. Oh, and, and, that was, and I think it was just like, like there were times where we would get pulled over, but usually, I don't know. I mean, it was so crazy looking at the van and how it was packed. And like, you know, there's six of us in there with all this <laughs> shit. And like, um, you know, we had a lot of gear and merch and stuff. And so I think, I think it would, even when we go like into Canada and stuff and, you know, you see people getting their, their, their vehicles just emptied, you know, I, there was times where they'd pull us over, they'd open the van and be like, what the actual fuck are you guys doing? Like with <laughs> this much shit in here. And then, you know, they'd pull a couple things out and then, you know, they would get to the uniforms and be like, oh, we're done. Like, I, I'm not t- touching that oh because God. there were times where they were like, Hey, can you come back here and put this gross shit back in your vehicle? We're oh. not touching it or whatever, or, you know? So I mean, it never got to the point to where like someone's like, what the fuck is this outfit? You look, you know, they never like really saw what we looked like. They didn't saw it hanging on a on a hanger in uh-huh. the back of the van crammed in there with a bunch of gear. And they're just like, this thing stinks. Or like, you know, it's still wet or like, it, like especially like Gabe's would always be like, have like white all over it, like salt deposits from his sweat, oh, you know? God. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty, if anything, they helped us, <laughs> you know, we don't have, like, any kind of searching, you know? Oh um, God. That's hilarious, man. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's always you know when you're in a band and you kind of have that like uptick and then everything. There's usually like kind of a plateau, and then thing, things kind of dip down. Um, it was really interesting to see kind of when the locust sort of took a little bit of a break, and then you coming out with retox and just never, never stopping. Um, I, I, I love that uh, about you, man. What was uh, what what are the the I mean the challenges that you faced like kind of 
going from one act to another and then just kind of like giving giving that your all for a while and then sort of just like I don't know I was just kind of curious about like how you approach that well I don't really have a choice you know um the the thing that's kind of interesting when you look at people that are that are um you know musicians or artists and they they create stuff like um i'm trying to think of an example uh you you know you have you have someone who's in a band and they're they're this person from this one band forever and that's this them that's Mm -hmm. their identity you know them and that's cool and stuff but for me you know with the locust i think kind of early on i mean even when the locust started i was still kind of in swing kids and and it was in swing kids was kind of a part-time thing because our drummer moved to the bay area and stuff so it was it, it, it was like oh i'll just start this other project and then with the locust it was it at some point you know i think it was joey started playing in le shock so the rest of us you know were like oh well he's on tour let's start holy molar and then so there was always kind of like a this idea of, of just working with other, and also too, is like, oh yeah, we want to work with these other artists that we really respect and, you know, and it, uh, our friends that we, that we, you know, I don't know, admire or whatever, whatever word you want to use, you know, like, like, like we all really wanted to play with Maximilian on, you know, the, the drummer for Holy Muller. Like we were just like, God, man, he's legendary. You know, he was in the Antioch era. Like let's, let's start a band with him. And like, mm-hmm. that was, so it's kind of like, why not, you know, you know, the locust isn't going to be playing for two months because because joey's on tour so let's do this other thing so it was kind of it was kind of just like always there and then and then at one point you know i I, when the locust was fully active it was like fully active with some girls also being fully active i remember you know both bands being on their own respective tours trying to this time you know like the internet was a little bit different you Mm -hmm. know but like every day trying to find internet so i could sit down and like listen to these mixes because albums were being mixed while i was on tour you know with the other band and so it's you know so i mean that's it's just kind of like how how things went but um i mean i i feel like um um there was always this sort of level to keep things going with any spare time so when so when the locust did take a break you know, for many reasons, we, we decided to, to stop playing, you know, and there was like, I think, I don't even know how many, at least five or maybe seven or whatever, a bunch of years where we just stopped playing completely. Yeah. And that was when kind of retox started and, and, and retox actually initially started with, with, with Gabe as well on drums. So, um, again, it was kind of like, you know, Gabe and I were like, oh, we should start a band with Mike Crane because we really liked Festival of Dead Deer. And so that was, that was the sort of reason behind that. Nice. And it was, and, and it was based on, it was based on Gabe and I being in, in Headwound City and Headwound City not being a band, you know, at, at that time or not being active. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we just started something and, you know, Gabe, Gabe uh, had to quit um, Retox pretty, pretty quick. But but regardless, it was kind of just like, well, we what else am I going to do? You know, I, 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 I this is, you know, a necessity for 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 survival. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, these things have to happen. So I got to I got to go do this thing. And. And it was like, you know, it was very challenging and very humbling to go on tour and have people just fucking hate you again. And you're like, oh, man, um, you know, we're losing, you know, hundreds of dollars every day on tour or thousands of dollars, whatever. I don't know, how, you know, probably hundreds only, but, you know, like still losing money every day, yeah. and like out in the middle of, you know, America or in fucking Florida or somewhere where people just are trying to beat you up. And you're like, dude, I just want to play this set. And like, you can just go fuck yourself. But people would literally, literally just want to fight us and shit and like, all right, we're at this level again, you know? Um, but those kind of things, I think maybe in retrospect really did push us to create a certain kind of 
art and to make a vibe and to make it what it was, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, and also too, if someone, if some, if you do get into the situation where someone's trying to fight you or something, or whether it's hostility or real legitimate negativity, I feel like maybe you are doing something right. If you're, if you're getting that reaction from someone, because I, I know I'm well aware that like um, apathy is, or being indifferent is, is when you're failing, you know, I mean, the point is to like create this reaction, even if it's a negative one, as long as people are paying attention, you're, you're moving the, the, the dial some way, you know, there is movement because stagnation is where things start failing and mm-hmm. becoming monotonous or, or boring or whatever. And so it was, there's never, there's never been like a real legitimate dull moment. I'm just, I'm, you know, for me, it's just, there's a, there's a lot of depressing moments, but never, a, n- never a dull one. Um, so <laughs> there's that. Yeah, I know, I know that all too well, but um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it seems like, you know, once dead cross, uh, you know, popped up, um, God, when was your first thing? Like 2018, 2019, maybe. Uh, the first record came out, I think, in 2017. Oh, okay, yeah, because I saw y'all when you came know. through um, uh, at Emos. Um, when, yeah. when Mike pulled that little redheaded kid on stage, that was really weird. Yeah, uh, that was so cre- cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was creepy as fuck. Um, Could but, you uh, imagine being that kid though? Like, I know. that'd be so. Would, <laughs> I, not that I want to like give ourselves any kind of credit where it's not due, but like I feel like if I was that kid and got dragged up on stage, it would it would project my life into a, into a direction that definitely was needed to go into, you know, I, I, I mean, I always talk about this too. Like when I was 12, I met the cramps and it was, it, it, oh, that wow. was the life changing thing, you know, and it was fucking cool. Um, man. Yeah. And they were still like, uh, uh, they, like, they were still legit. It was like pre epitaphs, you know, kind of like, you know, whatever it was like when they were still rad, like candy Del Mar's on bass, like it was sick. Oh, and cool. I met them and it was, the way they treated me as a 12 year old, especially when I had terrible parenting. Um, I was, um, no offense to my mom, but it was pretty bad at that point. And, um, anyhow, it was like really, really awesome to meet them. And I feel like it changed my life. So when I see, you know, when I would see Patton, which he did it a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. brought kids up on stage and like, let them like fuck around in front of people. And like, you know, I don't even know what they dance around or like whatever he would do, like all of his kind of like goofy shit was pretty rad. And I think those are, those kids are our future. And let's just hope that they, gravitate towards like all the weird shit we're into you know and yeah hopefully that that's it so yeah yeah but it's uh it, um it, it's great to see like uh y'all come together i mean i hate to call it a super group because uh, super groups usually tend to suck but dead cross is fucking rules man what's it uh what's it like playing in a band with david bardo <laughs> it's such a funny question i always i always get asked i'm that. sorry it's, i just i have to no like, no 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 it's <laughs> well it's interesting because um Dave is such like, aside from his drumming, he's, he's such a humble and caring and um, I don't know, like just patient and and sweet human being, which you wouldn't expect from the guy from Slayer, you yeah. know? And I, but also I feel like maybe that's why there, he had a riff with some of the people in Slayer because I, I feel like maybe he is just a very kind soul and, and the, you know, maybe he doesn't align with certain people in Slayer, but regardless, um, you know, it was crazy because I, I'd already like spent a bit of time with them because the Locust and Phantom Moss toured. So I, I, we were familiar with each oh, other. that's right. And, and, I, for, I totally yeah. forgot based on that. No, no. Yeah. But so when we got in the studio, because we got in the studio to work on someone else's record together. And, and this was um, and in the studio is when we ended up putting Dead Cross together because he needed a band really quick in 12 days to uh-huh. play a show. So, so like me and him <laughs> and Mike Kramer, like, oh, let's put a band together. And, and then we farted something out. But it was, it was, it was 
surreal to be in a room with someone like that and sh- and to play music. But with that being said, it wasn't like um, the door opened and you were just like, oh my God, I'm, gonna, I'm playing with Dave Lombardo. Yeah. It was kind of just this gradual, you know, kind of mind fuck of like, whoa, shit. Like we're going to go do this thing. And then the thing like evolves into the next thing and the next thing. And then you're like, okay, we're in a band together. This is really bizarre. But it wasn't like, um, you know, someone randomly called me, I don't know, like, or Dave didn't randomly call me like, Hey, let's start a band. You know, yeah. it was, there was never like that moment where I'm like, what the fuck? So, um, you know, but it was, it was always a trip to kind of sit there in a very close room, a small room and a very close pr- proximity. And like, and, and, not only share that energy and like sort of musical telepathy, but, but to kind of his nuances were just, they're very smooth and beautiful and elegant. And, and, and just to go like, Oh, there's this, there's that, that Slayer ride. And like there, you know, and just his impeccable, you know, double kick work and stuff. It was just, it was always very, um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to like, I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong word because my mind is so strange, but like, it, it just was a very, I, I will say a, listening to his drum beats and seeing him play was very beautiful and elegant. And I don't mean that in a, I don't want to discredit like his sheer brutality and intensity, you know, because that exists. Mm-hmm. But for me up to that point, I was, I was so used to sitting right next to Gabe Serbian and having it just be constantly fucking brutal and weird and technical and jagged and uh angular and then there was like and so like working with dave there was like this sort of smoothness to it and it was really really interesting i think those two of the those two drummers are two of my favorite all-time drummers and it, and, it, and they 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 had uh love and admiration for each other um which i think they both should should have have had um but um you know, it was, they're both different kinds of drummers. So anyhow, it was, it's always interesting when someone's like, how's it like to play with, you know, Dave Lombardo? I'm like, dude, I also played with Gabe. Like, you guys yeah. don't understand, you know? So there were like a few times where, you know, I'd be playing with, with Dave and I was like, even, I remember even when we started, I, when we first started Dead Cross, I, I, I think I said something on social media that was meant as a joke. And, I, and I'm sure Dave didn't think I was a dick, but I was like, I've successfully avoided playing with drummers that use China's, up until now and, and and this is this is the perfect exception you know like uh, i just think china symbols are, are are whack um but dave you know it's it's part of his his kit and his yeah. setup and his sound and it makes fucking total sense like if gabe would have had a china we would have just been like nah this is this is weird like uh-huh. don't do that you know but um it yeah i don't know it's it's it is wild to play with dave um he's just such a sincere person. And I think that that translates in his enthusiasm and his playing. And it is fucking crazy to go see him play. I remember like when he, when he joined suicidal, I went and saw suicidal mm-hmm. and it was, it was really, really wild because like in phantom Oz, I got to watch him play, but I was also sort of obsessing over the whole band and also not going like, I'm also a band with this guy. Wow. You know? So, so going to see, my friend play, you know, my now bandmate play with another band. I really fixated on his drumming because I don't really get to see that in dead cross. I mean, I get to see it. It's there. It's happening. We connect, we look at each other. I I'm vibing off of his drumming, but I don't really get to study it and like 
really see the nuances and appreciate it as a, as a spectator. And so when I would go, I remember when I went and saw him playing suicidal, I was just like, motherfucker, this guy is insane. <laughs> like I, he, you know, it was just, it blew my mind. And then going to see him playing in the misfits changed the game entirely because no offense to the misfits drummers, but they've not had the best drummers. Oh, so yeah. hearing him, Hearing him playing the Misfits, I was just like, man, now I see like Len got this guy to play drums because it sounds fucking impeccable. And like, yeah, those aren't like the most technical drum beats, you know, in the Misfits, <laughs> but it was the delivery and the the stamina and like the fact that it was just so, again, precise and elegant and fucking just beautifully powerful and ripping. And so it was cool to it was cool to see that. And then, you know, again, reflect back and be like, I'm in a fucking band with that dude. That yeah. shit's sick, you know. So it is kind of weird because when I get when I get asked that question, which happens a lot, I I, I really feel like someone's kind of um, asking it in like uh, like a fan a fanboy kind of way, and I'm like, no, but we're friends, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I no, know. no, I I completely yeah. understand that. Thank you for yeah. elaborating, man. I just yeah, I had to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I trip out on all kinds of shit. Like every, I mean, everybody that I that I work with, I'm like, what the fuck? We're doing something together. This is crazy. And like, uh-huh. it's cool to experience those things. You know, it's cool to really get to see that side of of someone, uh, that personal side. I mean, it is like, I mean, granted, you're just playing music and stuff, but you are sharing something very emotional and very personal most of the time. And it's cool to be able to, to connect with, with other people like that. It's, it's, and I think maybe that made me a better artist or maybe a, definitely made me a better human. Um, I, I really appreciate the fact that I can navigate working with different kinds of people. I, that's really important for myself. That's fucking awesome, man. And, and thank you so much for sharing your time with us too. And, and, uh, shedding some light on that. I, I, I like I said, been a big <laughs> fan for a long time and, uh, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. Of course, man. Of course. Thank you. I have to say, I appreciate anyone giving the shit, you know, to talk to me, um, giving a shit to talk to me or like find what I'm doing. Interesting. Uh, I really do appreciate that because not everybody gets that. And I, and I, and I, and I'm grateful for that part. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, um, I always ask if, uh, anybody wants to play a song off the new record. I know, uh, I haven't, uh, uh, you've only released the one song so far, so far, so we can play rain of error if you want, or, um, I don't know if you had another, uh, when track this, on the album um, when that, does, yeah, when I, does this air? I when can is drop this, this next week or, or the next week or two. Then you're going to have to play rain of error. Unfortunately, it, I would love to give you a different song. I mean, no offense to rain of error, but no, there are no. better songs in my opinion. There are better songs in the album, but those aren't the one, but yeah, I, I just feel like, um, uh, yeah, it's not my place to give out other tracks, but, but play Rain of Air and if people love it, great. And if people hate it, that's, that's also great. People um, hate it. They can I kiss do, my ass. <laughs> well, there's been, there's been a, a ton of, of negativity, um, online in the, in the, the critics, I use critics with air quotes, um, you know, uh, commenting on our video m- mainly, but also on the song and, and, Luckily, they don't really bring me through the the gutters too much. Mainly, Mike Crane <laughs> he gets he gets a lot of shit. Actually, everybody everybody except me gets shit on for the most part, which is great. Um, uh, I welcome people shitting on me. It's fine. Um, if you got to do it, you got to do it. But um, yeah, I, I think um, we can push this that song, and and then when the next single comes out, people can talk shit about that one. Sounds so. great. We're gonna play it right now, man. Justin, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yep. yep. Talk to you next time. Okay. Take care.
Thanks for tuning in to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe if you want to keep up with the latest episodes. And don't forget to check out The Highway with Kyle Shutt playlist on Spotify to keep up with all the rad tunes that we play on the program. And if you need some new gear in your life, don't forget to check out Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, Idiot Box Effects, and Ray Ray Decker Cables. Stay high, everybody. We'll see you next week. Hey there.